Let's pray. Jesus, as we sang, and we said with our own words that you are worthy, that you are worthy of praise, you are worthy of our every worship and effort, that we fix our eyes on you, fix our eyes on eternal things, anything that's bothering us right now that is only going to matter in this year or the next. God, help us to focus our eyes on this next life to be with you to be in heaven, to be with our Savior. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would have mercy on us, and we just we just praise you for letting us be in worship tonight, to let us fellowship, to be in this place, to even take a breath of stillness. Maybe this is our first moment to be still today. Maybe we've been running around all day. But God, help us to just draw near to you as you draw near to us. And we praise your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, uh, tonight's reading is 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected, if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Let's pray. We ask for a big miracle, and we pray for this miracle, this supernatural work, every single Wednesday when we gather on the Bible, that you would awaken us. That you'd open our eyes to behold wondrous things from this book. The only way any of our souls will be truly stirred to obedience would have true saving, lasting faith from what we had just read, is if you, Holy Spirit, make that happen. None of us in and of ourselves, we can't, it doesn't matter how smart we are, it doesn't matter what our IQ is or our GPA is at school or how long we've been in the church or how little, we all need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand the Holy Bible. So please, please, Lord Jesus, please, God, breathe on us in this place. Speak to and through the text and the messenger, let all of us, myself included, hear the precious word of God. For that is why we are here. In the middle of the week, in the middle of whatever it is we're going through, we need the Bible. We need God's word. Hold us, we pray. Anchor us and send us out of this room soaring stronger than when we came in. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So... Let's dig in. God, help us, help me, because this is your Bible, and these five verses got to get shoved in our hearts. That's where it belongs, but it needs to flesh itself out from our heads, our hearts, and then through our hands. So change us. Don't let us be the same people we were when we came. Let us leave stronger, more edified, more aware of the dangers, and more equipped to do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I might lose most of everyone. Who is a soccer? Who plays soccer? Yes! I didn't lose everybody. Really? Tux, Vix. Uh, now I like go around, okay, what was your position? No, no. Well, actually this. Was anyone in here a keeper? Oh, okay. All right, all right. Why can't I give away the answer now? Well, um, I played center mid. 
uh, all through my soccer career. Well, most of my soccer career. But if, 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 if you play soccer, I think I kind of gave the answer away already. But when you play soccer, who is the loudest, most expressive player on the pitch? The mom. <laughs> Someone said the moms. That is correct. That is correct. My mother was very loud. I could hear her from a mile away. I knew that was my mom and she was screaming. Um, of the 11 players on the field, who's the most loud, expressive player? Tucker. Okay, Tucker was. What position was that, though? Okay, good. Oh, good. Okay, I like that. That's the right order. If you have a good team, and for those of us who don't play soccer, you'd be like, I don't know. But this is why. Because the keeper, when you're facing the opponent, they see everything. A keeper is a terrible keeper if they're quiet. The keeper is constantly yelling, push up, or left, or move, or up, or back door. He's constantly yelling. All the best keepers I've ever played with. The farthest I got to play, like, like competitive play, was college ball and some Olympic tryout stuff. But all the best keepers were the most loud, aggressive, and even gritty bruiser, even obnoxious guy. Like, just they're so expressive. They're the most vibrant on the field, but they're, the, they're so important. The, the next guys after them is the defenders because why? They have a viewpoint, a vantage point that all the other players can't see. I remember one keeper I just loved. I mean, he, he had this thing, and, and with athletes, like, we all have our little idiosyncrasies, but for him, he never washed his keeper gloves. Like, they just, he couldn't. They could not be washed. Everything else could be washed except the gloves. So whenever we were, like, back in the D, like, by the goal, like, and I would have to go by the goalpost, I would just dread standing next to him. But the brother was just so loud, so expressive, and with his hands, and he would just be like, push up. And you can catch a whiff of his gloves, like, yes, let's get up, let's get out. But, 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 but the point is this, in that if the keeper was not expressly loud and clear, what happens to the team is they get scored on. The enemy, the, the, the opponent, is able to infiltrate and advance the team much easier. Once our keeper learns how to communicate and tell us what's going on, like, you know, like when we play golf, if you hit a ball and you shank it and it's going towards people, what do you yell? Four. If you don't yell four, what happens? Someone could get hurt. But here, here's, the, here's the thing. I do think oftentimes the greatest trouble we get ourselves into the greatest pain, the greatest danger, the greatest devastation oftentimes comes when we have a lack of awareness. Uh, Like like we didn't see that one coming. You know what I'm talking about? It, It caught you by surprise. Ignorance is not always bliss, church family. It rarely is. When it comes to salvation... When it comes to our faith, when it comes to the church and how we are to live and act together, when it comes to our leaders, when it comes to the teaching, ignorance is not bliss. So the Holy Spirit, like the good goalkeeper he is, is expressly saying, 
hey, wake up. You got to know this. That's the tone of the text tonight. Remember, the whole book has been this hurting church that's undergone spiritual abuse. They have bad teachers, and they're trying to navigate themselves through this. Paul was just detouring us for a whole chapter of good, godly gospel leadership. Now he's kind of coming back home to the greater context of the book. He's like, okay, listen up. You got to get this. This is super important. And the reason why he wants us to be aware is so that we don't get blindsided. Do you want to be a part of a church that gets blindsided again and again? I've gotten blindsided enough. And I'm tired. And I'm exhausted. And I still got wounds that I'm nursing. So please, as we work through these just five verses, let that be the tone of the text tonight. Wake up. The Spirit's going to expressly speak to this. And he's trying to alert us. Guys, on judgment day, local people, you're not going to be able to say, oh, I never know. All right? Let's get in. So the Spirit expressly says, I've already been going there. It's a word of explicit. It's making clear. In other words, and we don't know how the Spirit is expressly saying. It could have been God gave Paul a direct revelation. He could have spoke through a prophet. He could have, it could have been just the written word that they're working through Deuteronomy and stuff. But he just decides to say, Timothy, the Spirit is saying something loud and clear, buddy. He's expressly saying this. That in later time, hysteros kairos, it's the same verbiage used in the New Testament. Speaking of Acts 2, when we were in Acts, and Gabe, I I said not a year and a half ago because that book took two years for us to go through. So it's got to be even way before that. But when we were back in Acts chapter 2 a few years ago, remember that scene at Pentecost? And Peter was preaching the gospel, then he quoted Joel. And he says, you're going to pour out your spirit in the last days. Remember that? The last days is the time when Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose, he ascended. And now from that point to the point he's going to come again, and just to remind us, he's really coming again, you know. Like, you got to come, right, Jesus? That's what the spirit and the bride say, right? Don't forget that. But in that window of space, last days. That is the last days. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, he says, children, it's the last hour. 1 Peter 1.20, he says, he, meaning Jesus, he was made manifest in the last times for your sake. So Paul is telling Timothy, and Timothy's telling the church, the Spirit's saying this really loud right now, expressly saying that in these later times, today, now, Jesus never come yet. And until he comes, this is what's going to happen. I pray this breaks our heart. Some will. Does it say might? Oh, they will. I pray this not only breaks your heart, but I pray it puts fear in your heart. I have had a hard time with this verse this week. It was a hard one emotionally for me. Because this is truth, that in the last days, some will, will depart from the faith. Aphistemi. 
It's a causing to revolt. It's painting the picture of a rebellion. It's a, you know, we saying, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world. That's the picture of in 1 John, turning away from the world to look into Jesus. But the opposite is true. This is what's happening. They're turning away from Jesus back to the world. That's what this word means to depart. Some will. They will. They're going to turn back. They're going to they're rebel against the authority of what? The faith. What is the faith, church, that, we've been, that Paul's been teaching through this whole book? What, was, what is the faith? The gospel. Amen. Right? Chapter 3. That whole beautiful hymn of the gospel. So people are going to be turning away from their profession of that faith. So this is kind of get keying into Robert's question about well, what, what does this mean when they fall away from the faith? It means they were professing the right, accurate Christian gospel, and then like in Galatians, something's cutting them off. You're swerving. You're, just, you're, you're starting to distort this thing to the point where you're actually turning, you're revolting against it. You once believed in grace. You're saved by grace, but then all of a sudden you think you're saved by how much you come to church? You're saved by grace. Then all of a sudden you think you're saved by how much you serve at church, how much you tithe to church, how much spiritual disciplines you have and do. See, so there, there's, there's something, this, whatever it is, is causing a departure. And this is the part that breaks my heart. It says will. A pause, just let this hit home for real right now. Think of every soul in this room right now. Doesn't your heart scream, please, Lord, not none of us, not my children, not my uncle, not my auntie. Please, Lord, not us. That's what this text has been doing to me. But I want to note this out. It says, he just says first, in the last times, people will depart from the faith. God wants us to be clearly aware of this church. He expressly tells us that apostasy, that's the word I want to use, because apostasy means to rebel from the faith, to revolt against the authority. So apostasy will happen. Judas, and when God, the Bible says will, it's meant as fact for us to know and not be surprised. Judas did not surprise Jesus. Demas, when he turned and departed from Paul and lunged after the world. And Hymenaeus and Alexander, these are people that I'm quoting from Paul's letters in Timothy. These are people who are of the, they profess to be of the faith and then they fell away. This didn't shock Paul. You see, God doesn't want us to be shocked. It's predictable. None of the apostasy that happens towards King Jesus when he was on the earth shocked him. John 6, 66, verse to 71, it says, After this, many of the disciples turned back. They no longer walked with him. Speaking of Jesus. He looks at the disciples. You want to go too? Verse 68, Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see that? They're in the faith. 70, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Did that shock Jesus? He knows. And then he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was the one of the twelve who was going to betray. Later in the book of John 13, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you is going to betray me. And then this is crazy in the text. All the disciples looked around at each other, and it says they were uncertain. 
Someone's going to be apostate here. Surely not I, Lord. I, I just bring this to the surface because I want us to know that this does not surprise Jesus. Therefore, it should not surprise us. The keeper needs to yell back door so we're not shocked. How'd he get there? Now, this does not, is not supposed to surprise us, but it should always, always sadden us. I'm sure some of us who've been walking with the Lord for some years now, you know people who you've known at a particular time in life, they were so loud and proud of Jesus. And yet for whatever reasons, how come today they don't even want to speak of his name, let alone call themselves a follower? And the Bible has given us scripture like this to let us know, church, that's going to happen. You see, when something's not a surprise, guess what you and I can do? We can prepare. We can actually get ready to care. And heed the admonition like in Hebrews says, take care of each other. Don't let any of you guys have a sinful, unbelieving heart. We need to be aware of the apostasy that is bound to happen. And we must be saddened by it. And yet, even when we are saddened by it, we must carry on. You must. We must. And in this place, in this space, because perhaps in this room, you yourself already have had seasons where you've, you've felt those. You know, the, you know the, the, the great song, here's my heart, Lord. I'm pr prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. All of us are prone to apostasy by our sinful nature. The disciples durst Jesus at the cross, and it didn't shock Christ. Here's the greater glory. It didn't even stop him from going. Isn't that beautiful? This is one of the mysteries of the faith church, that he's faithful even when we're faithless. You see, we can read this text and think of others right now. I wonder who's an apostate. But I want us to read this text and actually analyze ourselves. Because all of us feel that pull, don't you? We all feel the tension to want to pretend it, don't you? Fake it at times. Perhaps you're here this evening and you are pretending, like Brother Robert said, you're pretending to be affectionate or want Jesus. Right now, here's a grace to you. Jesus, through the Bible, is saying, careful, careful. And then you say, Lord, change my heart. Like we told the children during VBS, give us good soil. Not the kind of soil that's shallow and then you appear to profess and you're all happy and then later you, you turn away. Because that seed never really got down deep there. This is not a shocker. You're not, and none of us here, myself included, we're not fooling King Jesus. But I want us to hear this because if that is you tonight, I've been praying for you. If you're here tonight and your religion is purely religion, like you're, you, you can easily walk away from the faith right now because there's nothing really deep down in your core that believes this stuff. If that is you, you, you don't have the gospel in your veins. But for whatever reasons, you're here and you're listening to a preacher talk about this Jesus. And maybe you grew up in church 
and you've learned how to profess faith and act and talk like a Christian. And right now, the Bible is telling you there's a chance that you could become apostate one day. You could depart from this. Then I want you to hear this loud and, loud and clear tonight. That there's grace for you. That you're hearing these words now because King Jesus loves you. And the Spirit is expressly saying, come to me. Repent. I can change that heart. I will give you true faith and belief. Friends, family, I don't want any of us to be apostate. And I say from the pastors down because we've seen stories of pastors and preachers who become renowned and have become apostate. Doesn't it break your heart? But here's the thing. God said this would happen. He's the keeper that's been calling out back door. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest any of you have an evil, unbelieving heart and fall away from the living God. 1 John 2.19 says this of those who are apostate. This is going to hopefully answer Robert's observation. They went out from us, speaking they were in the faith and then they left. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they're not of us. So apostasy are people who profess faith and then they fall away from that faith that they profess. Perhaps because they were indeed pretending. Because they were never really of the faith. And if and when this happens in the church, guys... So if and when this happens five, ten years from now, we're not like someone leaves and goes to another church. No, someone up and leaves the faith. It will sadden us, but it will not shock us. But as we move on, we will be better prepared in how to prevent and be sure that this does not happen among us. So expect apostasy is the first point. Expect apostasy. And if tonight you do have, if you diagnose your heart and you feel like, yeah, that I actually, I feel like I have apostate tendencies, then I want to plead with you, come to Christ tonight. And I want to plead with you to pray that God would break your heart, your hardened heart, draw you in and give you faith. That if you've abandoned your first love, like it says in Revelation 2, to this church, that you would repent and do the things you did at first. And church, let's help each other. Let's examine ourselves, but let's pray, let's pray for one another. Because this is real for all of us. This is going to happen again and again in the last days. And this is how it happens. It moves on. They devoted themselves. So this is how the apostasy triggered but what we're going to say, I'm going to read a big chunk and then I'm going to make one big observation. They devoted themselves to deceitful spirits, teachings of demons. That sounds pretty intense, no? Verse 2, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Okay. The big point of this thing is right now what Paul is doing is he's exposing the abusive teaching. All right? He's, so first, expect apostasy. 
Now Paul is out to expose the, I, I use the word abuse because it's an abuse of what I think is something they started with scripture because they departed from the faith. So they started teaching sound doctrine and then they got distorted. So what, what he's going to do, there's three things how he exposes the abusive teaching. The first thing he does is he know, know the source. What is the source? Deceitful spirits, teachings of demons. And that means demons. It's like, whoa. Timothy, you got to understand this. you got to expect it, but you got to understand this. When you see this happening, the source, I want you to know where this is coming from. It's coming from hell. All abusive, false, false gospel teaching, the source, this is important for us to know, the source is spiritual forces of evil. Listen to this, Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the who? The devil. Church, if we're going to fight right, we've got to fight the right enemy. It's the devil, demons, spiritual forces of evil. This is real. So Keiki, yeah, let your imagination go because this is real. So when you're watching TV and you see the false teacher, it's deeper than that. When you interact with people from cults, it's, it's, it's a greater issue than the cult leader. Spiritual abuse or abusive teaching, false teaching, this is the source Demons, the devil. Verse 12 in Ephesians 6, Paul says, because <laughs> we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Why would Paul need to say that? Because perhaps in Ephesus, they think, oh, it's all Demas. It's Hymenaeus and Alexander. It's that guy's fault. You might have past hurt. I know that there's people in this church that have past hurt from other churches and other spiritual leaders, whether it's in Christianity or some other circle, where a priest or some spiritual leader misused you, hurt you, and hurt you hard. And I want to hurt with you and then let you know that that came from a, a, a deeper, more darker force. The source of that abuse was demonic why is this important for us to know, church? Why does Paul need to make this clear? Because if we start picking a fight with just people, wrestling with flesh and blood, we're not going to get anywhere. He says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. He says, but rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. You know, that's what we're up against when we have false teachers. If I were to go swervy and I start to, in five years, kids, if I started to teach a different gospel to you, you have to know that, yeah, I have an issue, but the issue's deeper than me. It's spiritual. Why is that important? Because then you guys are going to need to know how to fight. How do you fight spiritual? Well, if you read on through the rest of the book in Ephesians 6, prayer. You ever wonder why it's so hard to go to a prayer meeting? Because all the forces of evil are working against us and your flesh. That's why I get so amped if there are one, two righteous persons that are down to throw down in prayer for real. Because God is majority. And if we call upon the name of the Lord, all the demons in darkness shudder, says James. Amen. So we got to know the source of the abusive teaching, and that's demons. Doctrines of demons. Paul's like, like Timothy, you got to know where this stuff is coming from. 
It's bigger than Alexander or Hymenius or Demas. Spiritual forces of evil, we're up against, buddy, you ready to scrap? You ready to go? Young men, young women, church family, are you ready to fight right? Then we have to know the enemy is the devil and his demons. This is a spiritual warfare. Don't let that just become a cliche. So when you suit up and you come to church to a midweek Bible study, regardless of how you feel, and you got your sword, you know what you're doing? You're coming to suit up for battle. It's so encouraging to me. Especially when your armor is all bloodied by past spiritual abuse. Thank you for being here. So the source is spiritual forces of evil. So that prosperity theology and all that cult theology, remember, it's deeper than the physical leader. It's coming from hell. Another way to expose it, Paul moves on, is now he's saying, okay, don't just know the source, but know the vessel. Know the instrument that's being used. Look at he says, through, so these doctrines, these teaching of demons, come through insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So the, doc, the demon doctrine comes through a vessel. And the vessel are men or women who are, big word, insincerity. That's this word, hypocrisis. What does that sound like? Hypocrite. So it comes through hypocritical and then liars is to speak lies. Whose hearts are or consciences are seared. So you can say this, the vessel that most false teaching, all false teaching come through is through human hypocritical hearts, human hypocritical liars. This is why chapter 3 for the pastor, elder, deacon, what's so big that Paul speaks of? The character of the man. If I were to get swervy and start teaching you doctrines of demons, you know the source, and you know what happened. My heart got hardened. I don't care about you. False teachers don't care about the sheep. Acts 20, they devour it. They feed off of this. They love this. So I, they will say and do anything to entertain and just draw them to themselves. And what they don't realize is they're being used by a demon. This kind of stuff was so good for my heart. I've been praying so much for my heart, Pastor Bob's heart, Pastor Johnny's heart, all of our teachers' hearts in this church, that we'd be all removed, all the members in our church, no more hypocrisy. Are you living in any form of hypocrisy tonight? You say one thing, but deep down in your inner hearts, you know you believe or feel or live another way. If you are there's grace for you tonight. Hear the gospel again and again. But let me warn you, you are opening yourself up to be an instrument of the enemy. Demons and the devil wants to go through hypocritical hearts. So know the vessel. Know the source. Know the vessel. Acts 20, 29 to 30, Paul warned them. He said, when I leave... Verse 30, from among your own selves are going to rise men speaking twisted things. And here's their motive, to draw disciples after themselves. Church, pray for me. Pray for us. The Spirit expressly said that some of us this could happen to. 
truly believe in the gospel and let it change your heart. Good soil, right, Kiki? We don't want hard path. We don't want shallow soil. We don't want rocky, thorny soil. That kind of soil is prime for demons. Demons like that kind of soil. But if you have good soil, if all of our hearts here are good soil, the demons will shudder. Can't touch it. So let's learn how to pray. Know the source. Know the vessel. Lastly, know how to spot the false doctrine. Know the content. So look, at, he, got, he gives us a little bit. He says, okay, so it's going to come through these liars, but this is what they're teaching. They forbid marriage. Huh. Who made marriage? God did. Genesis, right? Premarital people who are going to get married soon. People who just got married. God made marriage. God made everything and it was good. But marriage is God's beautiful design for his glory and our good. Now look at what it's saying. They're denying, they're forbidding something God made that was good and for his glory. This is a clear contradiction of scripture. Proverbs 18.22. It's good for you, young man, to find a wife. That's a good thing. But see, these teachers were starting to deny what the Bible says is good. They also forbid certain foods. Notice this, and MacArthur points this out in his commentary. I like this observation. He said, it's interesting that they didn't start with these big doctrines like the Trinity or the deity of Christ or the doctrine of salvation. They start with food and marriage. Subtle. Just a little, you know, and they could twist it. They could say, you know, it's, it's, it's good to be single. It's good to be physically fit and abstain from certain foods. They could start like that. And then what it moves is into that word require. You see, if you do this spiritual discipline, you then have merit. By this good work, you then can achieve. This is a requirement. If you don't do this, you cannot be saved. You see how it's subtle and then it starts to pervert itself by becoming a, 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 a works-based gospel. We must hate this church. It must disgust us. It's from the devil. And those who believe such a train of thought will never come to Christ. You see how he's exposing the content it's a form of asceticism. It's a teaching of the day where they would, you know, celebrate all denial or indulgence of a form of pleasure. So if you don't marry, if you abstain, if you whip yourself, you're more spiritual. You must be going to heaven. Now, demons will just take various forms and make it look different every generation. But we need to learn how to spot this, guys. Any kind of teaching other than you are saved by grace through faith through Christ, is of the devil. And we want to be able to say that clearly and confidently. They will say Jesus plus something. So if it even sounds Christianese, and then they add in a little bit here and there, you can then perk your ear up, kid, and be like, oh, that's interesting. You see how we need to... Expect 
but now we need to expose all false teaching. And this is what Paul does now as he exposes the content. I love it. The, the best way to expose something that's false is by comparing it with something that's true. Now let's, let's read on and finish out how Paul finishes out. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Can you just imagine for a moment, if you are in this church and you believe the doctrine of the demon, that you thought you were going to heaven because you, that guy asked you out last week and he's like, nah, no, 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 no. Because God, and you thought that was going to get you better brownie points with Jesus. Or, or someone asked you out to lunch the other week and then they were had food in front and no, 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 I don't eat that anymore. And in your mind, you're thinking, okay, now I got better brownie points to go to heaven. Can you imagine when, when then, Paul, then Timothy, or Paul writes this to Timothy, and Timothy reads it aloud. Everything God created is good. Can you imagine for that brother, sister? What? You know, like, or amen, or nothing is to be rejected. Can you imagine in the church? If they've been rejecting things because they think that's how they get to heaven. What Jerry said in observation, freedom. The Bible, the truth, the gospel sets us free. Nothing is to be rejected if, now that's a big word, if, here's the condition, it is received with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a big attribute, children. We don't tell you to say please and thank you just to be polite. That's good manners. But if you learn the doctrine of thanksgiving, it means you realize you deserve nothing and every good and perfect gift comes from above. If you're truly a grateful person, you recognize this about life. All good things come from God. So I am thankful. You see, someone that's truly thankful is someone that gets grace. And someone that really gets grace is someone that really gets the gospel. I am a sinful, rebellious person that deserves nothing from God. I don't deserve the breath I have to speak of him right now. I don't deserve any possession I own. I don't deserve my family. I don't deserve anything in this life. And yet, by the grace of God, he has saved me by Jesus Christ's blood. And everything else is grace. So I can say thank you on Thanksgiving Day to God for real. If it's received with that Thanksgiving, because it is made holy by the word of God and prayer, made holy to be sanctified, to mean to be made set apart. So this joy, so if we want to apply this to marriage, because that's what they're talking about. No, you can receive that marriage if you know that that's a gift from God and God made it. And that marriage now is being made holy, set apart for God by his word and prayer. Then yes, receive it. That's how life's meant to be. Amazing grace. Not only how sweet the sound, how sweet the taste, how sweet it feels, how sweet it looks, and ah, oh, that's what it means when we live by being everything we receive in this life, from marriage to all the relationships you and I have, to whether we eat or drink, it's all grace. And now it is made holy because now my marriage, now your job, now our parenting, now Everything we do, now the way I golf, the way I surf, the way I eat, 
the way I exercise, everything is made holy in that this is for the glory of God. And it's by the power of his word, which in this greater context is the gospel and prayer. The final point. We need to expect the apostasy, expose the abusive teaching. And when we do that, church, when we're able to expose false and embrace truth, you know what we experience? Amazing grace. And we will say emphatically, in accordance with Genesis, everything God made is so good. So good. And yes, everything's not going to always feel good and be good. But when you can stay centered on those gospel truths and truly be thankful and truly grow and know God causes all things, you and I will say yes and amen to verse 5. Everything is to be received for everything God made is good. And when it is received and made holy by the word of God in prayer, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That's the text. That's the teaching. Oh, man. I was saying this was a really hard, and I'll close out with this. I was saying this was a really hard text for me because it was kind of activating some of my post-trauma in that I've been in churches and in spaces where abusive teaching happened. And then the apostasy happens. And it was probably the most heart-wrenching thing in my life to sit across the table with a brother or a sister. And I'm not making a hypothetical. It's just like really happened. And they looked me in the eye. And they, at one point, they just loved Christ. They seemed to love Christ so much. But because of the abuse of Scripture, and they probably didn't truly have saving faith, they looked me in the eye and said, I just can't. I don't want. I'm done. And to this day, I just pray, God have mercy, do something, Holy Spirit. That's, that's what demons do. And I've been wrestling really hard in that I, I read a text like this, and, and I was telling someone earlier, I just felt really angry. And I was almost consumed with anger this week. I, I was trying to figure out, Lord, how come I'm so short this week? Like, why am, I, why am I so mad because I can't get the sticker of my registration on my license plate? I'm yelling like a maniac. I'm like, why am I so pent up? And I, and I started to realize, I think a lot of the anger was I was dealing with this text. And I needed God to take me to a place of out of anger and into amazing grace. For those of us, if some of this really resonated with you tonight, I pray that you would not you know, like we've studied in Lamentations, let the Spirit take you through those pains. But know that the truth of the gospel still stands. So if we have friends that are, you would classify apostate tonight, the gospel still stands. The grace of God, the power of the gospel is still there. Who's to say that they can't turn and come home? And so my prayer right now is tonight, we would wake up, we would be alert, of the warning, but we would know, church family, not only to expect it, but how to prepare and to fight right. Let's encourage each other. Really, every time you come to church, know this, that someone's faith could be on the line. No, know this, that someone's faith is on the line. 
And we are all called to care for each other. See to it that none of us have sinful, unbelieving hearts. No Judas. No Demas. Not here. And if we consecrate by the word of God in prayer, I believe with all my heart, if the gospel shines bright here, we will overcome these things. Amen? We want this, right? Like here, when we sing, this is an image I have, and we're going we're gonna to close in a song right now. But an image I have is when we're singing and I close my eyes and I hear your voices, I have this image of saying, like, I can hear, and, and when I hear your guys' voices, I can recognize who you, who's singing sometimes. But I, I imagine, like, that voice still singing as we cross over the river. And I'm like, I won't be singing this song with Olivia a thousand years from now. Take us there. Because he who began a good work, he'll carry it on into completion. We're all going to die eventually. For, fires don't need to remind us of that. But it's going to happen. And when that time comes, if our faith is truly in Christ, that's our home. Let's get there together. Let's persevere, saints, together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so needing more grace. None of us in and of ourselves have the ability to save anyone here. For the parent, we don't decide whether our child walks with you close or far. We won't dictate whether five years from now they will want you more or less. We leave that in your hands, Lord. And so we pray. For the brother, the sister, we don't decide if our siblings or our parents choose you or not. We don't decide if our best friends choose you or not. This is all a work of grace. The way it says in John 3, the Spirit's like the wind. And so, Father, though this hard truth that in the last days some will depart from the faith, that even Jesus goes farther and says, many will say, Lord, Lord, and yet you will say, I don't know you. What we are left right now in this moment tonight to do is to examine ourselves to see if Christ truly lives in us. And so, in this moment, let true examination happen. And let a real exposing of the heart happen. And please let a real experiencing of your amazing grace happen. Jesus Christ, you are alive. You are coming. You did die for sinners. You died for those who you knew would rebel and knew would turn back. You knew the disciples would depart. You knew Judas would do what he did, and you still went to Calvary. You didn't flinch. You kept walking. You picked up that cross, and you kept stepping. You took the lashes on your back. You allowed the thorns to be pressed on your brow, and you bled out. You agonized. You hurt. You paid for transgressors. You absorbed the wrath that we deserve. Only love 
can explain this. That you would demonstrate your own love for us while we're still sinners. Amazing. We don't even begin to understand how amazing that is. But let tonight be a night where we understand a little bit more. We want to know you and the power of the resurrection. We want to know amazing grace. We want to sing it from the soul. We want the gospel to be coursing through our veins so that in the end, when all is done, life, life, eternal life, enjoying you forever and ever with all the family here. Let this be our prayer. Save souls, we pray. Save us. Save us, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen. All this Father, you are Lord over both day and night and all things that take place during those times. We are in your great and merciful hands, Lord. And as we depart now uh, from this place, from this time of worship, we ask you, Lord, that you guide and protect our hearts. Let us not lift our soul to another. May we be amazed by your great love and grace. As you pour out your grace and mercy upon us, Lord, we pray that we can do the same to those around us, that we can live out the love that you first showed us. May we go in your peace now. In your name, amen. Amen.